Hello Amazing. Today, I would like to tell you a story, an important story, about something that happened in the summer of 2016. I was on an airplane flying early July. I'd flown from Newark to Vancouver, and I was now on the second leg of my journey, traveling from Vancouver to Sydney, Australia on an Air Canada flight, I guess it's AC-33 or something like that. On a, It was a Boeing 767, I believe. Uh, the seat configuration was three seats, uh, middle aisle or, or, or row, three seats and then another row and then three seats. And I was sitting in the window seat as I prefer when I want to sleep. It was an overnight flight, leaving on a Sunday, uh, night and then landing in Sydney uh, Tuesday morning, which is, you know, mind-boggling still to me. And so I was in the window seat, there was an empty seat, and then an older man named Richard. Richard Watson, I think was his name. And after takeoff, uh, Richard and I began chatting. I can't remember how we started chatting, but we had a really, really good conversation. Uh, I learned a little bit about him, and, and he was very curious and interested in my work and what I was doing in Australia, you know, and I told him about my workshop and I was going to teach and uh, the kind of work I was doing, and it, it was a really wonderful conversation. What I learned about Richard was that he had been in Canada with his wife. She was traveling with him, but she liked to travel on business class. And so he had put her in business class up front in the plane, but he preferred to save the money for himself. And, and so he was flying economy. So she could lie down and sleep in a bed, but he was fine in economy. He just wanted to sit. And uh, he was about 80 years old, I believe. Uh, and he had worked all his life as a, as a medical doctor specializing in surgery. And I could just feel like he it's not that we didn't talk that much about his work, but he did he did talk a little bit about it, and I was really interested in it. And I could really feel that this was a man who had really lived a happy life, a really happy work life. He he literally told me how he, you know, for all of his career, he said he had never had a single day where he wasn't excited to get out of bed in the morning and go to work. He had enjoyed his work. He had enjoyed the purpose, the meaning of it, the challenge of it, the, the, the fact that it, it was never easy. It was never a dull thing to, uh, to open up a patient and, uh, and, and perform surgery. And, you know, and as a side note, I mean, I think it's no coincidence that uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi in his book about flow uh, refers to a lot of of, of surgeons as, as a, one of these activities that is just very, very conducive to that kind of flow state where you're fully present in the moment, uh, performing this kind of precise uh, routine that you've rehearsed uh, with a whole team. It becomes this almost like ballet kind of performance. And that's, that's what Richard had done all his life until he retired. He'd worked and lived all over the world and... Um, 
And yeah, he was just very, very uh, content with with the with the life that he had lived. So we had this conversation, and then at some point, I think I said, "Okay, I really enjoyed this conversation." Now I think I just need to process a few things in my brain and write a little bit in my notebook, and um, and then I want to sleep. I, I want to be fresh for tomorrow. So uh, no no uh, no offense, but but let's let's wrap up the conversation here. And he he was totally fine, and we wrapped it up. And then I began journaling a little bit in my in my notebook. And Richard looked over a little bit and I wrote a little bit more. And then he, he leaned over and, and he touched my arm and he was about to say something and he, and he hesitated. And th- this is really the, the, the critical moment in, in the story because he, he had set it in motion. He had, he had reached out as if he wanted to say something. And, and it wasn't... It was like... He knew that it wasn't going to be easy to say, um, but now he had to do it, and, and so he did. And what he wanted to say was uh, that, that I was holding the pen incorrectly, which, you know, you can understand why that's not an easy thing to say. Like, you, you've just met this stranger on an airplane and who, who do work, and you've just had this conversation about their work. I, I do work where I draw and write with pens um, a lot. And so now you're going to lean over and tell them that they're holding the pen wrong? Um, but he did. And it was incredible, the conversation that we then had. Because he, of course, he was concerned. He could see that the way I was uh, holding the pen, I was kind of squeezing the pen between my uh, thumb and my index finger. And, um, and he said, this, this is the mistake that, that young surgeons make all the time. You know, and he had taught uh, a lot in, in medical schools and, uh, as well as, as performing surgery. They, they hold it too tightly, he said, and it, it decreases your stamina. It means that you cannot uh, perform surgery for long enough, and it's not precise enough either. Uh, it's, it's an inefficient way of, of holding a fine instrument, uh, like a pen or, or a scalpel. And he showed me how, uh, how to hold a scalpel and... and of course, the, the idea was that this would probably also help uh, with the pen and showed me how to hold it between my thumb and my middle finger and just very gently let my index finger rest on the pen and have a much lighter grip. And, um, and he said, you know, this, if, if you want to do this, if you want to practice this, this, this might take you uh, 6 to 12 months at least to adjust your grip and get, get comfortable this way of holding a pen but he said from from his experience of of being a surgeon teaching young surgeons uh, performing surgery every day in his uh, whole career that that this was critically important to learn this was an important thing for both precision and stamina and and not to uh, to uh, yeah use the use the wrong muscles and I was just so appreciative uh, because it was, it was that crucial moment where he could have said nothing. He could have said, uh, I don't, I don't want to take this confrontation. I don't know how this stranger is going to react when I give him this 
you could say, critical feedback, even though it's well intended, even though it's supposed to be helpful, he couldn't have known if I would actually appreciate it or if I would find it offensive. And I think most people would have kept it to themselves. Most people would have just said, no, eh, their problem, maybe they'll figure it out later, maybe someone else will tell them. But he took that responsibility. He reached out even after we had, you know, officially ended the conversation and said, we're, we're going to both go to sleep now. He reached out, he touched me, he hesitated, but he, but he went through with it and he told me this thing. And it's been one of the most valuable things I've learned in the past couple of years because it has fundamentally changed how I hold a pen. And it's one of the reasons I can now have switched to using a fountain pen, for example. I could not have done that the way that I was holding a pen before. And I'm still learning, I'm still adjusting. But it took me five years to learn to hold the pen the other way. So, you know, there's some unlearning in that. But so the important thing is not just how to hold a pen, but it's that moment of daring to to help someone. I think there are actually, there, I think there are two lessons that are really important here. One is in, in on, on Richard's perspective, that, uh, that daring of, of wanting to help and, and living with the fact that, yeah, he could have offended me. I could have, or he couldn't have offended me, but I could have chosen to be offended um, by, by this critical feedback, but he decided to do it anyway. I think that's something that I certainly don't do enough with other people, where I could dare a little bit more from a place of truly wanting to help someone, to gently dare to step over that and, and offer, offer that help. Um, that's, that's one thing. I think the other thing that's also important is because I am very interested in getting that feedback, to remember that I probably also have a responsibility in the way that I have conversations to, uh, to show that and hopefully or, or, or it's likely at least that one of the reasons he dared to give me this was because of how uh, I had been in the conversation we had just had like I, I had probably hopefully shown up in a way that, that made him trust uh, enough that I would appreciate this and I think that's a good reminder that we can all practice that as well um, being being uh, willing to be wrong, being curious, uh, and, and setting that example so that if people have something unexpected, unsolicited feedback, that they will be more likely to dare to give it to us. All right. So that was an important story with two very important lessons for me. Uh, if you want to learn how to uh, hold a pen the way retired surgeon Richard Watson told me to hold a pen on an Air Canada flight from Vancouver to Sydney. I will record a little video after this recording, uh, a little video that will show the difference and, uh, and I'll, I'll put a link in the description below. So thank you for listening today. I hope you'll watch the video. I hope you'll um, dare to give these kinds of things, these gifts like Richard gave to me and uh, that, that might seem small. I, I, wish, I wish Richard could know uh, the impact that this has had on my, on my whole work and life. 
Um, but but at least he did it anyway. But also that that there is a responsibility to show up if you want that kind of input to to consistently show up in a way that is inviting it in the first place. So that's all. Thank you so much. Bye bye. <laughs>